In this episode, I answer a listener's question about intimacy after childhood sexual abuse. We're talking about trauma, the free state, hypervigilance, and more to help you get a better understanding of yourself and hopefully to get a bit more unstuck. My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist that thinks the world needs a new paradigm for mental health. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. But before I get into things, please put yourself first. I I do keep every episode as as safe as I can, but just by the nature of the topics, you may experience some stuff come up. So take a break if you need to. This one in particular is potentially pretty triggering. Um, It's all about sexual trauma and intimacy. You may hear some raindrops in the background, by the way. There's been lots and lots of rain here in Central California for the past couple days. So you may hear that in the background. And this podcast is not therapy, nor is it intended to be a replacement for therapy. This is not specific life advice for the person who wrote to me or for anybody else. And for the few people on YouTube who are watching this, hello. Um, To those of you on the podcast, this is available now on YouTube as well. And there's literally a handful of people there that watch. It's like I'm starting all over. So find me on YouTube. I'll put a link in the description of this one. If you'd rather watch this podcast, same audio quality, if you'd rather watch it, it's on YouTube now. All right, we got a question here from somebody on Instagram. She says, hi, Justin. I've been listening to your podcast for a long time now. Thank you very much, writer. Been listening to your podcast a long time now and am just coming into the realization that I think I experienced childhood sexual abuse. I think I'm in perpetual shutdown and hypervigilance somehow. It feels like intimacy is sometimes impossible and other times I feel like a different person. I wonder if you had any thoughts on how to regulate when a lot of what I'm remembering and putting together still makes me numb and unfeeling. I hope this isn't too much to ask. I'm aware you can't give in-depth advice, etc. And I'm seeing a psychotherapist at the moment. Good for you, writer. And yeah, you're right. So I can't give in-depth advice. I'm going to give my thoughts on this. Uh, Hopefully it's helpful. And uh, she says, thank you for all your work. Best wishes. XX. Yeah, so I'll give my thoughts on this. Uh, A couple things came up for me. I want to address a few of these pieces that she laid out in chunks here. And the first uh, piece that I want to kind of go into is the perpetual shutdown and hypervigilance. So hypervigilance to me has a tinge of freeze. In my opinion, that's, that's kind of what I, what I see in, in hypervigilance is freeze, which is the flight fight state active along with the shutdown state. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, go to episode 101 and start from there. 101 through 109 is a is an in-depth primer on the polyvagal theory. So maybe it has hypervigilance. I think it has a bit of, of shutdown in there because there, there's some immobility. When you're hypervigilant, you're kind of, I think, frozen in place. You're stuck in place. You're aware. You're hearing things. Maybe I, I think of that very, not hearing things, but uh, what I mean is I think of that kind of stereotypical image of the child who is like, they hear their father's keys, the abusive father's coming home, and they hear their keys outside the door. And that triggers them to be very still and frozen in place, but also really revved up like they want to run away, maybe fight. So hypervigilance to me is that. That's how I understand it. We're, we're keenly aware of even the smallest 
uh, details in the environment that are potential dangers. And I think there's um, a suspense in there. I think that there's, there's a freeze element in there. Hypervigilance could have something to do with uh, panic, maybe even rage. I, I could definitely see it. I think it's a bit different, though. But when, when there's a danger, you pause, right? You, like you're still, you're immobile, like I said. But with hypervigilance, you're stuck in that immobility. But you're also ready, I definitely to run away, possibly to fight. And I think with panic, there is that immobility while highly charged up. So I think freeze, shutdown, panic can be definitely a part of this, she said, perpetual shutdown and hypervigilance. So I, I think panic or freeze could be a part of panic, and that could be very much intertwined with hypervigilance. Shutdown is part of freeze, so that, that goes together for me. But just for the sake of argument, I think that there could be an element of rage in hypervigilance. Again, it's that constant awareness of, or scanning of the environment, looking for danger. That could be someone in flight who wants to get away from the danger, but it also, I think, could be someone who is in fight, stuck fight, who is also scanning for danger, not consciously, but then they lash out at anything that they perceive to be a threat. So it's not the opposite. Well, I mean, I guess kind of the opposite in a way. One person wants to get away from it, but they're immobile. The other person is wanting to aggress upon danger, and they're sort of in this immobility, frozen, but then explosive. So all that stuff is kind of stuck inside of them. It's frozen inside of them, that anger, that rage, that fight energy. And then when they detect something as a threat, they explode instead of freezing and like getting smaller and hiding maybe or running away or wanting to run away and then panicking. Instead, they are exploding in rage. But I think that could also have an element of hypervigilance as well. The the state is being triggered. Either way, when someone's hypervigilant, they're kind of always in that immobile but scanning for danger sort of mode, I guess. And the potential to trigger that, I think, is kind of always there. And that could be, I think, a panic flavor or more of a rage flavor. And the perpetual shutdown, it makes sense because that energy is frozen into the system. And this is extremely common for someone who has a history, some type of history of a sexual trauma. This is very common because they probably had an impulse to run away or fight while being immobilized and that might be forced to immobilize and that's what trauma is that's that's one of the two paths to trauma one of them is a acute life threat you survive an acute life threat reaction that's the first path of trauma where you're forced to immobilize or maybe perceive you have to immobilize while highly charged to run away or fight and the second path to trauma is that chronic disruption of connectedness which is your impulse to connect with safe others is constantly being severed. That could lead to uh, being in a stuck, traumatized state as well. So yeah, that perpetual shutdown, having that perpetual immobility flavor in the system, that absolutely makes sense uh, for someone who has survived sexual trauma. And when, some, when we say childhood sexual trauma, to me, I'm assuming that means uh, multiple events, not one event. And that means that there was probably multiple events of being immobilized while in flight fight. I think that kids 
well, I guess anybody who's goes through repeated traumatic events that there is absolutely there is an element of shutdown in the one event. In the repeated events, there's definitely going to be an element of shutdown. But over the longer period of time, that person's potential to exist in a shutdown, disconnected, numb state is probably going to increase. So there's probably more of a chance of that disconnected, dissociative, numb sort of shutdown flavor in there as well. So I could see someone existing in a shutdown or a very hypervigilant, freeze, panicky state as well, or kind of fluctuating uh, between the two of those. And maybe it's maybe that freeze energy is kind of there. They exist in more of a shutdown state, but that freeze energy is in there. And then it gets triggered, and that may look like hypervigilance or it may look like panic or rage, whatever it is, you know, for that individual person. So I, I can see a fluctuation happening. I don't, these states don't have to be an either or thing. It's not like you're just in flight, just in fight, just in shutdown or just in freeze. There can absolutely be this like ladder climbing up and down or even a fluctuating between two states that uh, maybe someone can come out of shutdown, but they have a really hard time with their fight energy. And so staying in that fight energy and utilizing it to keep climbing the ladder might be a big challenge. So they might spend a lot of time in both those states. So yeah, intimacy is going to be challenging. Absolutely. This could be, at least in part, this could be due to immobilization as being a part of sexual intimacy. Potentially. Yeah, there's a lot of movement involved in sex as well, but there's also some immobility, right? If someone is in a hypervigilant if someone's in a in a freeze state, if someone has hypervigilance that they have rageful kind of flavor or uh, panicky flavor, we need movement. In that state, if we want to run away, if we want to fight, we need movement. If we have some freeze energy going on, there is immobility and we want that the body needs to move. So immobilizing when you're in a state where you're really highly revved up it may not go over very well. And when it comes to physical intimacy, when it comes to sex, being immobile is kind of a part of that. So if you go into that situation with a lot of uh, flight fight energy in your system, without being able to handle it or mindfully feel it, that may be too much because now you're immobilizing yourself and your body, your system needs movement. It needs to run away or use aggression to solve the situation. I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about that flavor is stuck in the system based on whatever that person's history was. And they never got to, especially from childhood sexual abuse or from any sort of um, sexual trauma, there's probably some unresolved flight fight energy still in the system that got frozen uh, due to the immobility and never got to complete the response to run away or to fight. So if you immobilize yourself while that stuff's triggered, it's it's just re-traumatizing. It doesn't actually help, but uh, it being still, not still, but being immobile is going to be a really big challenge for someone who who has that freeze energy, and especially if it's triggered. Ideally, sex is a cue of safety. Ideally, uh, physical intimacy is something where we're, we're sharing it with somebody. We're allowing ourselves to feel vulnerable or exposed to feel trust, to feel connection, ideally. But it may not always be that. Sometimes it is not a safe experience. We may not be accessing our safe and social state. And that may be because immobility is too much. Being still requires that we're immobile 
but we're okay with it. We feel safety, not just that we're okay with it mentally or cognitively, but that we actually have our safety pathways active along with the shutdown pathways. That's called stillness. If we don't have the safety pathways active, then it's more of a defensive immobility. Play requires the same thing. We have to have the safety pathways active along with the flight fight pathways. So we have to be mobile, but in our safety pathways and able to co-regulate, connect with people while playing. Physical intimacy kind of has elements of play and of stillness, right? And again, you can't play and you can't be still unless you have your safety pathways active. So if those aren't active, and that's extremely common for anybody who's in more of a traumatized state, I mean, trauma is the inability to access your safety pathways. You're stuck in more of a defensive state. So if for anybody who's in more of a traumatized state, if they go into a situation where they're immobilizing, they might have a really hard time with that. If they're going to a situation where there is more of like a playful element, a social element, a vulnerability, trust, that's going to be a big challenge because their safety pathways are just less active than someone who's not in a traumatized state. All of that, plus the context of sexual contact, plus the element of immobility, all of these things combined for someone who's in more of a traumatized state from childhood to sexual abuse, it may be a really difficult, tall order for them to be able to engage in physical intimacy and be okay with it. And if, if, it, if the familiarity is too much or if, if the safety is not active enough, then what happens is the vagal break comes off. That's the safe and social state. If that's not active, that means the vagal break is not on. And then that, what, what that results in is too much flight fight activation, too much mobility, too much defensive mobility. And then that person is just in more of a defensive state. She said that the memories make her feel numb and unfeeling. I think that's what it was. So yeah, memories make you numb and unfeeling, but also the, the feelings of numbness and disconnection and loneliness, those bring up memories as, as well. Kind of they, they feed into each other. So once these memories, and not just the memories, but the feelings, the thoughts, once these become reintegrated in some way or discharged, not the memories discharged, but that stuck defensive energy, once it becomes discharged, once there's more of a vagal break established, I mean, once we do all this trauma healing or getting unstuck, whatever you want to call it, th then what we, no matter what it is that we got traumatized by, when we come back to that, the way that we approach that will probably change. And not just for sex, but anything. Like if you're in a more of a stuck defensive state after losing someone unexpectedly, the, once you process that grief, then the next holiday without them is probably going to be a much different experience. So the way that you approach that holiday, your mindset around it, the way you feel about it, who you allow into your uh, life that day, all these things change. Similarly, same thing with uh, physical intimacy. Once you reintegrate those feelings, those memories, once you get unstuck, whatever you want to call it, then sex will be approached differently as well. Instead of it being a fearful thing, which it might be right now, or more anxiety-producing or fear-producing, once you do enough of your own work, whatever that looks like, then when you approach having a sex life, it might be 
more of a connected experience, more of a shared, more of a vulnerable experience. The way you bring yourself to that is going to change significantly. They asked how to regulate through dysregulation. Uh, well, first off, building safety anchors can be helpful in this. My, it's my course on justinlmft.com. There is a self-paced version now, also a 30-day, but the self-paced version is there, is there as well. And this can help you to identify what brings you to safety. And no matter where, no matter how we got to a traumatized state, we have to identify safety. We have to identify what brings us to safety, what safety feels like, and to increase our capacity to stay in a safety state. And those safety feelings, the vulnerability, all those things. No matter what it is. Confronting these things, you know, head on can be helpful, but uh, it also could easily be too much and be re-traumatizing. I don't recommend that personally. But if you feel like you can handle it and you want to jump into, you know, what whatever it is, can be helpful, but not, not necessarily. Just thinking about things that are familiar to the things that you survived, we'll say. That can be re-traumatizing. Just thinking about it and without being ready for it. Just thinking about it without having your safety state active enough can bring up, can trigger all this stuff and it just opens the wound and doesn't actually help heal it. Just simply sharing the story can be re-traumatizing. Like with, even if you talk to a therapist before you're ready for it and they can't uh, help you through that, that can be re-traumatizing. So if you try to engage in some sort of act that is similar to or similar enough to what you went through, that can definitely be re-traumatizing as well. You have to build a safety state first. Then address our past stuff if you want to. And maybe you address it head on. Maybe you just, if you're terrified of spiders, you do some bagel break work. And then you, you know, jump into a pit of spiders or something like that. That sounds terrible. Oh my God. So this is, this is where I want to take this. Uh, we all want to have a healthy sex life, right? I would, or we all want to do whatever it is. Just fill in the blank for yourself. I want to do whatever it is, but my stuck traumatic state does not allow me to do so. So we all want to have, we'll say, a healthy sex life. I would encourage people to not sacrifice their well-being and their feelings of safety in an attempt to achieve that goal. The goal can still happen. I want you all to have whatever it is that your hearts desire. But take your own inventory and ask yourself, am I ready for this? Let's, let's do another just really easy stereotypical example here. Let's say we have a soldier comes back from war in a very traumatized state. Like the, I mean, let's go super stereotypical. Loud sounds like a car backfiring triggers their PTSD, we'll say. That person might want to go to a shooting range. But those sounds might be too much, and, and maybe it ends up re-traumatizing them or triggers that stuck free state of their own, and they go into a panic and it just re-traumatizes them. So they want to do this, but they're not quite ready for it yet. And the same thing, that just take that stereotypical example and I want you to apply that to yourself. And for this example, we're talking about someone's sex life. Yes, we want to be able to have a healthy sex life. Yes, we want to be able to go to the shooting range. 
whatever it is. But you, you might not be there quite yet. And that's something you have to be really honest with yourself about. And if you're putting yourself as putting yourself into a situation where you're constantly re-traumatizing yourself, you, like you're, you might not be helping it at all. You may, you may be making it worse. So I would really encourage people to not put themselves in positions where they're just re-traumatizing themselves over and over again. You can still have your goal. You, you, it is possible to meet that goal of having a, a better sex life or going to the shooting range or holding a spider, whatever it is. But you might not be there yet, and that's okay. You got to find safety first. Regulation, it's not a one-time thing. It is not something that you do as crises arise. I mean, it, it is, but it, it's it's an ongoing process. It's not just for crises. It, it's a slow process to build your uh, ventral vagal safety state. That's a slow process. Again, Building Safety Anchors, my course on justinlmft.com. That can be helpful to help you build your vagal break the strength of your social engagement system. But yeah, regulation is not something we, that we don't wait until the crisis to do some regulation. You need to do these things beforehand. This is true for all of us, I think. You work on your self-regulation before, before the crisis. And really, you, you want to do this, I would recommend in general, uh, a, a bit, a bit at a time. Not all at once. We don't want to overwhelm your system more than it can handle, gradual exposure, then bit by bit, work your way to your goal. So I've shared before on this podcast that I have a fear of heights. It's pretty general, but especially when I'm in my, in my car and I can't see over the edge, like if I'm driving on a mountain cliff or something like that. And this, this came up this past weekend, we drove to Yosemite in California and there's this awful, awful cliff. It's a windy road from uh, Stockton to Yosemite. Windy road, and I, I can't see over the edge. So I know for my system that that's too much. That That's too much for my system. So I asked my wife, hey, do you mind driving this section? I can't. I just can't handle it. I'm not there yet. But I noticed that there is, as I continue to do my own work, there are other sections on that drive that are that were challenging the last time we were there. But this time I was able to handle them a lot better. And they were had cliffs. It wasn't as extreme. There's one section I, I, I'm not able to handle quite yet. Yet. But there are other sections where before it was a trigger for me. And I did feel that panicky flavor come up. But this time I was like, oh, I don't feel it this time. I'm way more well, well regulated. I'm able to talk with my wife, with the kids, uh, listen to music, sing. I'm fine. I'm good. So little by little, I've been working on myself and my, this whole fear of heights while I, while I drive thing. And I noticed a significant difference. But I also noticed that there's this one cliff that is too much for me. And even thinking about it, I could feel myself getting a little bit of that like freeze energy, which is not a bad thing. And I could maybe, you know, roll through it. But it was like, ah, eh. I made the decision that I'm, I'm not going to try and push my way through this. I'm going to compile my wins. And that's what I want you all to do as well is. Instead of jumping into the whatever it is, bit by bit, gradual exposure, compile, build up those wins, build up that success, that that confidence level. And really it's building up the strength of your vagal break to be able to handle that next level of challenge. 
So you need to ask yourself what you can tolerate. If, if your sex life is something that is a challenge for you, what can you tolerate? Can you tolerate just like simple touch? Can you, I mean, some of, you may have a hard time with that. And that's just like, you got to be able to, to ask yourself and take your own inventory and say, hey, what can I handle with whoever it is? Do I actually feel safe with this person? Do I feel, is there, or is there co-regulation happening with this person? Do I feel safe? Can I handle touch? Can I handle fill in the blank, whatever it is? And you just got to be honest with yourself. So I, I would say just little by little in general, no matter what it is, it can be helpful. And then build, build from there. Notice those feelings, what it feels like to be successful. Notice what it feels like to feel uh, more safety in your system little by little until you get to where you want and then challenge yourself with something else. That is it though. Thank you so much for listening. Fellow Stuck Knot, I hope you've learned something new to help you in your process of getting unstuck. Do me a favor, subscribe, follow wherever you're listening or watching this at. I am on uh, YouTube now, trying to grow that teeny tiny challenge, uh, channel. I would love to see you there, although I won't see you, but I'd love if you watch my videos there. <laughs> Anyhow, bye. This podcast is not therapy, not intended to be therapy or be a replacement for therapy. Nothing in this creates or indicates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek for one in your area if you're experiencing mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed to be specific life advice. It's for educational and entertainment purposes only. More resources are available in the description of this episode and in the footer of justinlmft.com.